I love this story, and apparently the gospel writers do, because it's in every single book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I have a, it's a very convenient tool in my office. It's a book, and it takes all the gospel stories, and it kind of does parallel, you know, so you can see what's in what. And it was a good tool when I was in college studying. And uh, I love, I love this. I really, and I hope you don't have to, if you, if you don't like this series, then you can just go, eh, whatever, it's fine. But I hope that you enjoy getting to go through the gospels. I, I, I'm not going through every little literal story. Um, like for example, you know, in a chapter or two, Jesus is going to call him another storm. We've already talked about that, you know, but this one, he walks on water. I love that one. We already know the story, but some, sometimes people have to be reminded time and time and time again, the same principle. Um, but what I'm doing is I'm going through the book chapter by chapter and throughout the week I'm going, okay, Lord, what are you speaking to the church right now? And the reality is I, I love what we're reading. I love this story. And I've been a Christian a long time. How many of us have been Christians a long time? Okay. How many of us know everything about Jesus? Okay. The reason is there, there's a lot of stuff in the gospels. You go, well, yeah, I already know that about Jesus. But if you read it with fresh eyes, if you have an open heart, open mind, open ears to hear what God has for you, you will read the gospel. And you go, wow, I love that about Jesus. Like today, the number one word that sticks out to me, and if you take a notes, the word is compassion. And I love it because the, <laughs> I read this story and it's a very familiar story. It's well read. Every gospel story has it. But it teaches us so much about who Jesus is. And I've had conversations with non-Christians, and they, they claim that God is a petty, he's mean, he's evil. He is, if God really exists, why does he let this happen? And there's some questions. We can go through that. There's a not, by the way, we talked about this when we were in our small group this last Wednesday, is God can handle our, when we're praying, he can handle those, I've heard it called rated R prayers. I'm not going to say rated R prayers, but they're just being, who, they're raw, rated R, raw, right? You know, they're just, we speak to God like in David in that one, one of the Psalms. He was just, I pour out my complaints to God. Most of us, if I was to physically say this, and I'm going to, you know how you go to your boss and you go, um, you know, I have a complaint to talk about and you run and hide, Right? Right, you hide behind something, or you go to your employer. I've got a you go you go to an employee that maybe you own a business of. You go, we got a complaint to talk about, and you're like, <laughs> or you go to your spouse, or your kid, who's Mr. Cool. He has his license, driving around. He drives all the way to Stites. That's a big drive anyway by himself. He was good. He the car is in one shape, and so is he. That in, in that order, <laughs> he gets home. I go looking at the car like. He was good. He, he was good. But um, I, I love this story, but I do want to mention a few thing, important stories really briefly, just a sentence of what we're missing since last week's story. Last week's story was an important story. Um, it's, you're, I will never be the same again. In other words, the, the demon-possessed man, what was the demon's name? Do you remember? Anybody remember? Legion. Why? Many. Thousands, maybe. We don't know exactly. But I like to think, because it makes the story a little, it's already, 
graphic. It's already uh, extreme, but I like to even make it more extreme. Like this guy, the one guy who is living in caves with the dead people, okay, and he was naked apparently, foaming at the mouth, yelling, screaming, and he comes out there and he comes in contact with the living God. His name is Jesus, and Jesus delivers him. And how is he at the very end of the story? He is calm. He is himself. He's not He's not an animal anymore, basically. He is back to human and who God created him to be. That is who God created you to be. And if you, maybe you're not demon-possessed, but you're like, but I'm struggling. You go run to Jesus like he did. And he's going to heal you and deliver you, all that kind of stuff. So since that moment, there was a few things that happened that's very important to get to the story we're at today. Number one is, and this is interesting, Jesus and his disciples go to Jesus' hometown because apparently he had a home base and he had someone's home that he lived in while he went, if he needed to camp out a little bit. Um, and he went to town. In Mad- he was, what has he been doing this entire time in the book of Mark? He's been preaching. He's been healing people. He's been delivering people. He's into all sorts of different stuff. And he goes to this town. And what, is, what do they do? You're Mary's son. I mean, they're still onto this thing. I mean, Jesus has done so much. And they still can't quite grasp who he is. And so at the very end, I had to mention this. What does he say at the very end of that story? Jesus was amazed at their what? Lack of belief. Okay, there's two times Jesus was amazed. One time he was amazed at some lady's faith. And that's in the book of Mark, and we didn't read that part yet. But, um, but he, but in the, the second one, he's amazed. He's amazed at the lack of faith. You do not want Jesus to be amazed at your lack of faith. That would be a bad place to be in. So he goes to his town. Basically, he goes, "Fine, I'm out of here. This is not my hometown anymore. I'm done. You guys, you can go." He doesn't say go to hell. Okay, we would say that. Okay, some of us would say that. Some of us we go to H E double hockey sticks. You, you know, that was what I would say. But when I was a kid, that we couldn't say the word hell because that was a bad word. But um, then, basically, Jesus he, he runs away from that town and he stops and he tours many cities. And then he goes, "I'm going to need a little bit of help here." He looks at his disciples and he goes, you know, two by two by two, but you know, and he goes, "I'm giving you the authority to do ministry. I'm giving you authority to do what I've done." Cast out demons, heal the sick, preach, teach, powerful teaching. You have that ability. Go. He commissions them. And they do that. It's amazing. But then the third story is very odd. It's a very sad story. That's kind of a personal story for Jesus. The death of John the Baptist. Now, how many are familiar with that story? I hate to say this because it seems kind of rude, but it would, it makes, it would make a great movie. Because there's this party going on, John the Baptist here, and this lady, she wants, you know, I'll, I'll give, Harry goes, I'll give you anything you want. What do you want? You want a new car? You want a new house? Here, I'll get the keys right now. He goes, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter and served at dinner. <laughs> okay, I guess I will. And I mean, plop, they lift up the thing, and there is John the Baptist's head sitting right there. And you thought the Bible was boring. Okay. The thing is, that is an amazing story, but it's odd. But the one thing that's sad about it, there's a lot of sad things about it, but because the story of the Gospel of Mark started with who? John the Baptist. And the next time you see him, he's dead. Okay. And he is actually Jesus's earthly cousin. And so during this entire time, 
this whole town, his hometown has rejected him. How many think that would bother him? I know it would. Okay, when you go to your closest family and closest friends and they don't believe in you, oh, you're just, I've, I know the real you. Do you remember when the last time that you said that? You said you're going to live for God? Remember the last five times that you said that? Remember you said you promised you'd never do that again? And you do it again. No, I'm not going to trust you. Jesus, he does that, sends his disciples away, and they're gone. He's by himself, and now his cousin has just been beheaded. And now we get to this all-important story. And at the story, as the story begins, his disciples are starting to come back from this ministry tour. People are healed. People are delivered. Some of them, they struggle. Some of them have a hard time casting out demons because the demons are like, uh-uh. Nope, not budging. Nope, nope. And that gives me hope because I pray for people and whatever they're, whatever they're dealing with is if they could talk, if, if that sickness could talk, uh-uh, uh-uh, not budging. No, 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 no. And if you're praying, it could be very easy to be discouraged and throw in the towel when it comes to that. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in God's healing. I don't believe in God's provision. I don't believe that God's powerful. I don't believe that God cares about me. And it's easy to throw in the towel. But one thing you're going to find in this story is he absolutely cares about your needs. And he absolutely cares about your day-to-day-to-day problems. He actually does really care. He doesn't just care about your eternity. He does care about your eternity, number one. But underneath all of that, he cares about what you're dealing with. Like, are you really, if you're struggling, and you wake up one day and you go, I just have a hard time believing this Jesus thing. And he goes, let me hear, let me hear from you. Let, let me hear from you. And that's what he's saying. So Mark chapter 6, verse 30. And there's a few, and it's cut off here. <laughs> the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour. And he told them all that he had done and taught, all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, this is important, let us go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. Pause. Do you remember in Mark, he already said that? He's already done it. He's, this is the second time he said, you guys, we've been way too busy. It is time to hit the pause button. Last time he said it, he goes, let's go in the boat. Let's go to a place to be by ourselves, going right into a storm. There was no rest that time. The only one that was resting during that time was Jesus. Okay? He says this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. Again, it's been, it's said that more than once in the book of Mark. That he was so busy, he didn't have time to eat. How many of us have been that busy? Doesn't that make you mad? Doesn't that give you a little, doesn't that give you a little anxiety? Like, like I'm so busy that I can't even take a breath. You know what I like about Wednesday nights the most, you know, other than getting together with the guys is it's, and I said this a few weeks ago, but it's so true in my life. It is a collective deep breath. It really is. And it's right in the middle of the week and I'm sitting there going, and we all need that. We need it more than just having a Bible study. That's important, but it's more than that. It's just a collective deep breath because most of us, we're running around with a chicken with his head cut off. Not to, I'm talking, I'm not talking about John the Baptist's head. That was horrible, but, but we're running around like we're crazy 
And we just need it. And he's, he knows that. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But, say but, this, this but in the Bible makes me mad. It really does. I mean, Jesus. No, for, first of all, hold on. How many of us would make, if you're literally Jesus and you're the Messiah, how many of us would make a good Jesus? I always say, no, I would not make a good Jesus because I would not respond like he does. But many people recognized them and they saw them leaving. And <laughs> I imagine this, I want to see this in real life. And, 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 people, and people saw them leaving and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Apparently, Jesus is not in a hurry. You could, you could, who, who can go faster? Those who are walking to the other side or boating? You could, you could, win, you could beat them by just going around the, going around this lake. And so what happens? They beat them to the other side. Jesus saw the huge crowd. And as he stepped out of the boat, if this is, says Joel saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, he had anger. That's what I would say. Get out of here. I'm resting. We're tired. I'm hungry. Peter, did you get the food? No, I, I, John was supposed to get it. No, which one got it? How come no one is planning this thing? But he, I would be frustrated at the very least that I can't even get a moment's rest. How, how many of you know that the more you go, the more you go, 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 the less healthy you are? Physically, it makes me sick to think about it. But emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, you can't be healthy by just, I mean, try doing a marathon and sprinting a marathon for the rest of your life. You cannot slow down. What's going to happen to your body? You will die. I'm not kidding. You'll die. Keep going. You'll die. More likely, you'll fall and hit your head or something like that. Okay? But he, he, did, he wasn't angry. He had what? Compassion. Everybody said compassion. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They're just wandering. They don't have, they're aimless. They're clueless. Left to their own devices, they're going to die. And you go, what's that really mean? They are not believers yet because all they want is something from Jesus. That's it. Gimme, 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 gimme. It's like being a kid in a candy store. When I was a kid, I'd go to a candy store. The best thing that we would go is that we'd go to, when I was a kid, we'd go to Hallmark. It was by the Safeway, uh, where I was gr growing up at. And there was this huge aisle of Jelly Belly jelly beans. You know, Jelly Bellies are like the extreme good. Like you can't have, it's, everything else tastes like soap compared to that. It's like popcorn, juicy pear, chocolate pudding, dog food. There's one that's dog food, dirty socks, that kind of thing. Not kidding. There's, there's those little, it's, it's supposed to be a, like a trick to play on your friends, you know, uh, uh, earwax, spoiled milk. We did that one time when Hayden was little. That's the only one that made me gag. But anyway, I'm going on a tangent because it's having fun here. But, 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 I, you know, it's like going to a kid at a candy store. I, like my mom would say, hurry up and pick something. Ah, uh, ah, uh, what flavor? I'll grab the whole thing of that. She, she goes, get a bag and fill it up. I'm like, and this is like what sheep, 
I mean, they're just, they just want something. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Give me my, give me my food. Give me this. That's all, I mean, that's what they are. They are sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. In the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, hey, Jesus, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. In other words, stop the church service, kick them out really quick. But Jesus said, you feed them. And uh, with what? Here you can have a piece of lint. Okay. How many of us have, how, how many of us have snacks with us right now? Go ahead, in your purse or something, you have any snacks? Nobody have, how many has a, maybe a mint? Tic Tac, right? Piece of gum? At least you prepared for that a little bit. I didn't even prepare for that. So if I was really hungry, I'm in trouble. But with what? They asked. We would have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. Jesus says, how much bread do you have? Go and find out. Okay, what is Jesus doing here, first of all? Do you think Jesus knows how much bread they have? Of course he does. This entire thing is a setup for Jesus to teach his disciples to trust him. Because even when they find the food, there's not even enough for me, let alone for the crowd. Okay, there's, a, there, there's enough for me, but, you know. Okay, they came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. How many people are there, do you remember? 5,000 plus. 5,000 men, probably 5,000 women, and maybe 10,000 children. That's a lot of people. I'm sorry, but even a little piece of fish and a little crouton is not going to be enough to feed this crowd. You get this, you get, sorry, we've, we went to five people and it's already gone. So they're legitimately confused, like, what's going on? Then Jesus told the group, the people to sit down in groups of five and, one, five and uh, what does it say, 50 and 100, and could sit there. In the green grass, Jesus took the five loaves and two fish. He looked up towards heaven and he blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. It's about 20,000 people. Now, for those of us who have a hard time believing that story because it's supernatural, it's impossible. I get it. Like when I go to a restaurant and I get a hamburger, I would love to have the hamburger that does not disappear. Like each time you take a bite, it's like in those old, when I was a kid, I watched like Looney Tunes and every time someone grabbed something from a basket, the, the drawing didn't change. It just kept going. It was just like whatever it was, like food or, or money or something. It was just an infinite amount of graphic cartoon. That's how it was. And if you have a hard time believing that, just trust me. We believe as a church, crazy as it sounds, that we serve a God of the impossible, that he can provide out of nothing. He is a creative God. And when he created the heavens and the earth, he created it what? With his words, his mouth. He spoke into existence. And if you think that is the very end of his creativity, and he goes, I'm all out of creativity. I've, I've, I've colored the pages in on my coloring book, and I'm on the last page, and that's it. No. 
God is still a creative God. And what he's doing, this story is so rich because there is multiple ways of going to, like, applying this story to them. The main point is getting the disciples to trust him. Because so far, Jesus has been doing all this stuff, and, and they do trust him, but they still go, because, by the way, spoiler alert, this is not the only time he did this miracle. He fed 4,000 people. And <laughs> the funniest part of that story, I, I find it humorous. Jesus says, you go find the food. Where are we going to find it? You stupid person, you. Really, let's go back into our brains just a few months before that or a year before that and see what did Jesus do last time? Oh, okay, let's go find some fish and some bread. Let's go find something. This one, listen to me. Jesus, he is a provider. This is huge. This story comes right after the death of John the Baptist. And in the story of John's death, Herod holds a feast. In this story, Jesus holds a feast. This very, very, there's a reason why they put it together, okay, that Mark did. Because Herod held a feast. The feast was for the rich. The feast was for the powerful. The feast was for the, uh, it was for the influential. It was to impress them. Herod was going, I want to show you how wonderful I am. I'm King Herod, and I'm such a wonderful person. And here I am. I'm, here's my palace. Look at how extravagant it is. Herod, King Herod, evil, 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 wicked, horrible, nasty, horrible, uh, just, he, it's horrible. But the feast was not for the same people that Jesus held the feast for. Jesus held this feast for the lowly. They were the helpless. They, they, he wasn't there to impress the crowd at all. He was there to serve. He was there to serve. And when I would say, no, I don't want to serve. Because by the way, I want to throw something out there. If you've ever served, if you've ever done ministry, if you've ever poured out of yourself 100%, it is tiring. It's exhausting. You have nothing left. And then by the time you're empty and you're going, I'm going to drag, my, I'm going to drag myself to my house and go to bed. And then you get there and 50 people are there and you go, I just want to go to sleep. And then you, you, you go, okay, I got this. And then you lay down, you're like, okay, this is nice. My nice, my pillow 2.0 is right there. Okay. And then the phone rings and you go, oh, what do you want to do? Throw the phone across the, oh, now I need a new phone, right? Jesus doesn't do that. He's exhausted. The disciples are exhausted. And I, I I'm imagining this, but Jesus, they're getting out of the boat and they're going, oh, all right. And he looks up and he goes, there's 20,000 people here. The rest of them are going, oh, here we go. Jesus goes, I move with compassion. I'm here to serve them. And I love that about Jesus. See, Herod's feast was, a, was centered around sensual pleasures, making everybody feel good. Jesus is, it was that, in fact, in fact his, his um, entertainment during the party was downright evil, killing John the Baptist and beheading him just for entertainment. Jesus parallels that and he says, I'm having this feast for these lowly people who cannot pay me back. And his whole reasoning behind it is compassion. 
So there's a few points here that we glean from this story that I, I really want to focus on as we get into this and finish this. But the number one thing is Jesus is driven by compassion as the good shepherd. Some of us would think he's driven by pity. Like, oh, poor people, poor, pitiful people. No, that's not why. He legitimately sees the people as helpless, hopeless. They're wandering around, they're aimless. And he goes, I have compassion for these lost people and they need somebody to steer them in the right way. See, a subplot to this story is the idea of rest. Hitting the pause button. But things happen in your life. Interruptions happen. Sometimes those, div- those interruptions are divine interruptions. When you're ready to be done for the night and you put your feet up and the phone rings, who is it now? Right? Anybody ever say that when you're in the phone rings? Come on. No. Come on. Right? No. Never. Who is it? Hello. I love you. Yes. No. Come on. Because when you answer the phone, you can, you could call right. Back in the day, you could prank call people and do that kind of stuff. And is your refrigerator running? It is. Well, then go and catch it, right? No, you can't do that anymore. But, but when the phone rings and you're ready to put your feet up, many times it's a divine appointment. God is putting right in your lap a need. And so the subplot is rest. So we got to, we, you got to, you got to deal with that. That's my side point, And this is not my main point is that if you're not getting enough rest, you can't be healthy. You can't be spiritually healthy. So we could go that whole other time, talk about the Sabbath and that kind of thing. And the Sabbath was, was a gift from God to man. And that's why he gave it to us. But the main point is not that he is actually compassionate. If I, if this were me, I would not be driven by compassion. I'd be driven by annoyance. I would, and I have this whole conversation right here. I came here to relax and chill out by the lake, maybe go fishing. But these people just need something. Why can't they leave me alone? You ever said that before in your whole life? Yeah. All of you, he's talking to this crowd, if it were me, all of you have become an interruption to my agenda. And that's huge. Is that my phone? Just kidding. Sounds like mine. Um, We all have an agenda. Whose agenda really matters? Listen, this might seem kind of rude, but my agenda compared to God's agenda matters zero. Really, Pastor? I am at a place, I want what God wants in this community way more than, I want what he wants more than my own agenda. Because if you're like me, your agenda doesn't work all the time. Your agenda isn't always Christ-centered and Christ-honoring. It is, ah, whatever. But Jesus was driven. His center was compassion. He was the good shepherd. He still is. But how does he respond? He isn't driven by his agenda. He is driven by compassion because that's his father's agenda. It was, I see sheep who are lost. If you know anything about sheep, what are they when they don't have a shepherd? They're stupid. 
They wander around aimlessly. They starve because there's no one to feed them. Because they can't do anything themselves. If they're out of the pen, why does the one, why does the shepherd have to go run after the sheep by themselves, leave them in the pen? Because it's very dangerous out here by themselves. There's, there's, the enemy can attack. Thieves. People can, ooh, that sheep, that's worth a lot of money. I'm going to grab that sheep. Come on. Right? And you run away. That, that is what sheep are stupid. And then, oh, look, there's a cliff over on that side. I'm going to go run to it and then fall off. Why is that? Because they're stupid. By themselves, they will wander aimlessly. They can't provide for themselves. They need someone who is wiser than them, who knows and, and loves them and go, no, I care about you. So get away from that cliff. Don't starve. I, 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 I'll provide for you. Come here. Come back into the pen. Come on. Let's come. Yes. Come on. Let's. No, no, you too. Come, come on, Billy. Come on. Let's go. Come on. Come on, Timmy. Don't, stop picking your nose right over here. Get over here right here. Put it right here and go. See, that is not, that is not, this is, this is how, listen, I won't pick on you. This is how I am if I don't have Jesus. Picking your nose? Probably. But, we wander, we do our, we're aimless, we're purposeless. Jesus, he is the good shepherd. He doesn't want us to be vulnerable to attack. He doesn't want us to starve to death because, spiritually, because we're doing our own thing. He is the good shepherd. And so how does Jesus see this shepherdless sheep? He's not filled with judgment or pity. He sees them as children of God who need God. They're children of God who have gone astray. And so they need someone to guide them, direct them. He, you know, so what is compassion? I could give you the, the exact thing, but here's, here's what compassion is according to this story. Not being in a rush to clear them out. The compassion is slow. Compassion is lifelong. Compassion doesn't just go, I'm giving you one chance to respond to my, to, to God's compassion through me. And if you don't respond like I want to, then God forbid I'm out of here. No, you treat these shepherdless sheep who don't know any better and you go, they're just like I was 30 years ago, 20 years ago, two minutes ago. They're just like I was. So they need Jesus. And so you show compassion over and over. That's what Jesus was. Jesus was, he was driven by compassion. And then Jesus, he shows his compassion by feeding his sheep. Now, there's two types of feedings in this story. Because I want you to know, notice the story that Jesus, he actually is moved by compassion because they're sheep without a shepherd. But the first thing that he did was not to feed their bellies. And I struggle with this because I've had entire ministry people who we've worked together and, and, and they got a point. The point is they won't hear what they really, really, really need if they are, have their immediate needs not met. Like if they're, if, if, if this person, he is, he's losing his home and you're on the outside going, but you need to be saved. You need to go to heaven. And they're going, yeah, that's fine, but I'm losing my home. So we've had this entire discussion with ministry people over the last 20 years, and it's like, okay, so how do I preach to someone if they don't have, if they don't have their immediate needs met? Now, that's a legit question. 
Because sometimes when I'm at a church service such as this one and I'm listening, I'm sitting right here or something, and I'm dealing with something horrible, I ain't listening to what the pastor's talking about. Because the pastor's talking and he's doing wonderful stuff and I'm sitting there thinking about what my need is. And I get it. That's, that's a legit issue. But Jesus has two types of feeding here. The very first thing, verse 34, actually said at the very beginning is he, okay, first it said, I have compassion because they're like sheep without a shepherd. So he began what? Teaching them many things. This is kind of like going to the Bread of Life mission in Seattle. You have these homeless men come in off the streets, and if you're going to get food, you're going to hear a sermon and worship. Like if, if Lydia came in there, you probably did that. You led worship, and, 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 and when I was there, I did a sermon, and I was in the drama and that kind of thing. You're going to see a drama. You're going to hear music. You're going to hear a sermon, all kinds of stuff, and the men are just like... Oh, goulash, I love it. Because I think that's all they serve there. Goulash, I love goulash. How many of us love goulash? Depends on who makes it. My mom made horrible goulash. Rest in peace, she's in heaven. But, you know, she was an okay cook, but not goulash. It's like, anyway, but um, that's what it reminds me of. He goes, you know what? There is an immediate need right now. But I'm going to go underneath that service for just a moment. I'm going to plant a seed in their heart. Because it's much more than just feeding your bellies. See, maybe they assume Jesus buy them lunch. But he's teaching lost people the ways of the kingdom of God that he's inviting them into right relationship with them. And, but I love this about more about Jesus than anything. He doesn't just care about the eternal needs. I get it. That's the number one thing that Jesus cares about in your life. He cares about your soul. He cares about your heart. He cares about that part of your life that's going to live forever. This thing right here, this nice little jacket made of skin, this is not forever. I guarantee you that. I've done enough funerals, okay? I've, I worked in a cemetery for a long time. I, I, I mean, when I was in college, I worked in a cemetery. I know this is not permanent. But what's permanent is my relationship with God. And then when I get to go to heaven, that there's this new body but what I love about Jesus is he doesn't just care about that part. He actually cares about your day-to-day needs. And I want to say to you, if you're here and you struggle with this, like, God, do you even care about, I know you care about heaven, that's fine, but do you even care about this? Do you care about my relationship with this person? Do you care about my finances? Do you care about my job? Do you care about my lack of job? Do you care that I'm in a job that I don't like? Do you, do you care that I'm in a job that I am stuck in and I'm not going anywhere in it, yet this is it? Do you care about that? Here's my quick answer. Yes. He cares that you're struggling in your whatever, your relationship with this. Or, Lord, every single time that I try to start my car, it doesn't start. Do you even care about that? Absolutely. He cares about that. So I want to say to you, allow Jesus to be your provider. Trust him. Let him guide you. Let him open up doors of blessing to you. But that what we need to do is we've got to trust him. If we don't, and we're just looking at our physical eyes, we're like, okay, Lord, I'm looking. I'm looking for you wherever. And you can't see it yet. I'm, and you lose heart. Jesus is saying, don't lose heart. Trust him. Trust him. 
Number three is my, mo- is my most important part here. Because not only does Jesus care about compassion, Jesus calls his followers to compassion too. How, how many of us have ever met Christians who are lacking a little bit of compassion? Don't read you. How many of us are those Christians who lack compassion? See, the reason why, the reason why uh, many non-believers are non-believers is because of Christians that cannot, they don't show compassion. And when I see, when my, when my, it's like a battery, like it's like the battery level on this thing. Once it goes down, you can see it go down on this little marker here. If my compassion level is down to one bar, how, how do I fill up the compassion tank? I go run to Jesus. I say, Lord, help me. I need compassion because Jesus calls his followers to compassion too. The disciples say, where in the world are we going to find this food? Jesus says, you provide it. Okay, let's see. Uh, he goes, Go find the crowd. And he, they go into the crowd and they gather up this food. And in the book of Mark, we don't know who it is. We don't know if it's five people, but the book of John is very nice because it tells us who it is. Does anybody know who had the sack lunch? Little boy. Man, I forgot to get a sack lunch with some goodies in it. We were driving to Lewiston, that thing. I wanted to get some goodies and throw them out, treats or whatever to people. You know, but the disciples go out there and there's one little boy according to the book of John. Because some, I think John was paying attention a little bit more than the rest of them. Like, who counted the people? I think it was John. Okay? Who's going to count 5,000 men? And after you get done with the men, you're like, eh, the rest of them don't count. We're just going to let it, we're just going to let it go. But they go and they see this boy who I guarantee was his mother, who, here, if you're going to be with Jesus today, here, have a sack lunch. Because that's what my mom would do. Like, you need to prepare. The rest of them are like, eh, whatever. Disciples were like, eh, whatever. And I love that story. I love the story about the little boy because he didn't have enough to provide for everybody. There's impossible. If Jesus didn't get involved in this, he could just hold up his lunch and just show off. Look what I have, but you guys are going to watch me eat. You ever watch those TV shows? People like they're making a hamburger. It's like, it's like dripping with like grease. Oh man. I'm having a revival in my stomach right now. But um, the thing that I really understand about this story is I hold on to things that Jesus could be using right now because I know it's not enough to really make a huge impact. And what am I hold? What are you holding on to that Jesus is asking you to use for His kingdom? Why? Because God's called this church, among many churches, all churches, to reach out to the lost, to have compassion towards the lost. We must give to God what we've been holding on to. And he's going to multiply it and use it to change someone's life. In fact, here's a little confession to say to God when you need to. Lord, I don't have a lot, but here it is. Use me. I don't have a lot. How much of a, how many of us have too many, too much money? How many of us have too much talent? I'm just so gifted. I don't even know where to begin. No. We're like, okay, I don't have enough money. My talent is just this much. And we think, eh, it's not my talent and my lack. Of, I have my, my doll. I have a dollar. I have a dollar. What's that really going to do? You put that in the hands of, 
a God who can multiply your gift, even though it's a little, it can do a lot. But it has to begin with faith and trust. And last but certainly not least, it is Jesus' compassion is always more than enough in your life and in the life of other people. As we close, I really want you guys to understand what Jesus is really saying here. Here he's saying it right here. My compassion is extravagant and sacrificial. My compassion is extravagant. It's worth a lot. It's just, it's overboard and it's sacrificial. And Jesus is asking you, is that the type of compassion that you have? Where your compassion, you're, go, you're, you're stepping outside of your needs right now and you're saying, I care more about their needs right now than I do about mine. Because I'm sure that the disciples needed a nap. I'm going to listen to a song and then we'll go on YouTube. It's, it's, uh, I was going to do another song. We were listening to a song yesterday and, uh, there's two things that you need to do right now as we, as we prepare our hearts to go. But if the men here stick around for a little bit so we can put chairs up. But number one, you need to experience, you, all of us need to experience the compassion of the Lord right now. Every single one of us. You need to get to a place that you're experiencing the compassion. And then number two, let us find the people who need compassion, who need, who need the gospel. But for, for just a f- three minutes, four minutes with this song, it's from the band Crowder, and it's called God Really Loves Us. And um, take a moment just to allow the Lord to pour into your heart compassion. Because people who lack compassion is usually because they don't experience compassion. And so let's, let's experience compassion right now.